0: Hello and welcome everyone to the Lovely Travels Podcast! Woo! (laughs) This week Emma talks to the lovely Alison Hallworth about uh, just travel memories and experiences during travel. Emma, how do you know Alison?
1: I'm Alison because she is a fellow blogger. And we were both became World Vision blog ambassadors. Uh, So we met through that program and uh, it's really funny because I actually like I went on a trip with World Vision to see their programs, as did Alison. And when I was talking to her all about this travel podcast that I was starting, I sort of really didn't put her into the travel category and that Mm -hmm. is very prejudiced of me. I I put her in more of the family category and and some of Mm -hmm. the stuff she writes about more. Family. She walks, writes, she writes about a lot of things, actually. She um, social justice, humanitarian, yeah, so much stuff. And um, you know, she's done a lot of travel. And so I checked my prejudice at the door, got her on the podcast, and um, as is the name of her her blog, talking frankly, we spoke very frankly about many things.
0: That sounds good. I enjoy frank talks.
1: Yeah. That was really great. And look, we were super open about mental health as well, which was really awesome to get that topic um, brought up uh, Mm. because that is one of the aims of this podcast. So we do talk about things, all things travel and adventure, but we're also raising awareness for mental health uh, and contributing to a mentally healthier world. So
0: we're doing our best.
1: We are. So there we go. Um, Yeah. Enjoy, guys
0: yeah I, I think you could say that with less of a question mark in it
1: <laughs> enjoy guys <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay no everyone enjoy the episode it's a good one um and we'll see you at the end
1: hi Alison. welcome to lovely travels podcast hey em how are you today I'm very well. I'm very well. I'm so excited to have you on and I'm going to I'm going to be um, honest. Uh so told Alison, lovely Allison who's going to introduce herself soon, um about my podcast and she was full of cracking ideas as she always is. But I'm not going to lie, I didn't think of you as to be one of my first guests, uh which is very judgmental and rude of me because um you don't do as much travel now as you used to.
2: No, I mean, look, that's just that's just getting older and having <laughs> children and things like that. And it's not that my travel days are over by by um, a- any stretch, but, um, yeah, once you start having children. Also, I'm married to a Brit, which means that um, our last trip ended up being back to the UK, which, of course, is um, always lovely, but visiting family is a little bit different from jaunting, yeah 100
1: so uh, naughty slap on the wrist for me for being very travel yeah. travel prejudice. um what do you call it prejudice <laughs> i was like if you're not gallivanting around the world you're not even a traveler but um <laughs> yeah. uh you know people travel at different stages of their life and uh yes as you say it doesn't mean just because you're not traveling and we have known each other for it's at least four or five years, five years I'd say now. Well, yeah. when I went yes. to Uganda,
2: so yes. six years. So six years, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've been to India
1: since then. So I know, well. exactly, and that clicked to me later. So just very rude and judgmental. So anyway, Alison, please tell me a bit about, you know, ask that real existential crisis, who are you question.
2: Who are you? Well, one of the things I was, well, I'm Alison Bullworth um, and I um, came you and I became friends when um, we met, and I think, pro-blogger, which is because I write a blog mm. called Talking Frankly, which is about everything from housework to human rights. Um, I also do some mentoring, some writing. Um, I work in the digital uh, marketing space. Um, I'm a mother of two girls, um, married to said Brit, as I said before. Um, and But most of all, I always like to say that I identify as human um, yes. because it is the one thing... <laughs> the one thing that links us all on this planet, very much so, um, doesn't matter. I mean, it is the one thing. There is no other thing. So um, that's,
1: that's where I like to start. And you are a connector and uh, you very much bring people together. And uh, yeah, you and I connected because um, then we went to the We saw each other at the Pro Blogger Day, but we also saw each other the Blogger Day for World Vision. Yes. So both World Vision blog ambassadors. And uh, we're probably both the most outspoken in the room. So every time there was a thing, it would be like, well, I have a comment. I have a comment. I'm going to say something. (laughs) Yeah,
2: and I think it's fair to say, Emma, that we both suffer from the same affliction, which is that we genuinely like people, which um, (laughs) means that we don't have to fake that, which, yeah, which I actually think, I think when you're younger, you kind of think that... um, It's a bit weird but as you get older you just start to realise that, you know, that's the fun bit, the people. Yeah.
1: And so you have a British husband but you're based in Sydney. Yes. How did you two meet then?
2: Um, It's so clichéd. Okay, so um, (laughs) (laughs) I briefly lived in Sydney when I was young but um, I'm not really from here. And um, I had been living in Gympie of all places um, yes, um, before I headed across to London, belatedly to do my you know gap years when I was in my uh, late twenties, and I'd been living in London for a couple of years, and I had got to the point where I was like, oh, I think I'll come home now, um, and I moved into this house uh, in Deptford on Elvison Road with um, a friend of mine, Justin, who I've known all my life, and there was a couple of brothers that lived there as well um a girl called Zoe and there was this mystery housemate that I didn't meet before I moved in because he was off at Glastonbury and that was Nick so I met him and we started dating and we spent six months talking about how our relationship was clearly not going to work because I was going back to Australia you know so many reasons anyway in the end we decided um I went I went off to Ireland for a year and I lived in Dublin and worked for Microsoft over there and we did the London Dublin commute and Mm -hmm. then I moved back to London where we spent another couple of years we'd run out of visa options so uh, we came to Australia for a year and that was 13 years ago so.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well my parents did the same but um they were both English and came here for one year and uh they celebrated their 39th anniversary in Australia this year this yeah. week. This so, week. Wow. Yeah, so yeah I think that yeah. happens quite a bit but uh that is like such a rom-com. I know it is <laughs>
2: And honestly, there were moments where we'd lie on Blackheath in the middle, you know, at night, you know, smoking, well, I'd be smoking cigarettes because he wasn't a smoker, drinking wine and just, like, you know, talking about our crises, our ill-fated love. And anyway, basically, we were just wasting time. But, yeah, no, it is. Um, I like to say that the first time we kissed, he ran away. He says, I exaggerate, but, you know,
1: I, you, you do like to tell a story uh you do like to you know that's why you're here that's why you're invited yeah, on this yeah, but um yeah. the, even the Glastonbury bit it's just like oh just <laughs> it's great yeah. I love it it's what I wanted it's what I <laughs> thought was going to happen when I would could go away to London or I'm gonna go on one of my holidays and then yeah nah, it was in my hometown on tinder yeah.
2: <laughs> and I love him I know, I know, and I was, pre, I was pre-tinder, so way pre-tinder. Yeah, no, he was definitely, um, you know, I make no bones about the fact that the first thing I noticed was that he had a cute butt because he walked in front of me. <laughs> I got back from Glastonbury. I was at home sick lying on the couch in the communal living area and he walked past and then he turned around and he's just got the most stunning blue eyes. and yes, um, he does. Yeah, so that was that was it really. So,
1: Aww. yeah,
2: but um, yeah we did a few trips actually over the the years following that we went across to um to turkey and to now i'm having a mind blank somewhere else um yeah like did you know we did a bit of travelling there and um you know we've obviously done honeymoons in new zealand and all those kind of things that you do once you get on this side of the side of the globe so
1: yeah yeah and um I was going to ask, so you know, though you're having a mind blank, uh, (laughs) and it's a tough question uh, for people who've been to a few places. But what's what would you say is your favourite country or the favourite place you visited?
2: Um, If we if if we're going really really micro, there's a uh, island off the coast of Costa Rica called the um, Island de Tortuga probably pronounce it incorrectly, Um, and to get there you basically went to this really, really dodgy village um, right on the water and got into essentially a tin boat and we, uh, I was travelling with my sister and a a friend and we caught this boat and as you headed out to this island the sun was shining and there was dolphins Mm. and it was just all so beautiful um, and you got out and this island I think is privately owned and it was to regenerate uh, a lot of the the stuff and we parked the boat and we jumped off it and we went um, snorkelling, which is actually my first time snorkelling quite strangely. Um, this is about 20 years ago um, quite literally and um, it, just swimming and with these big manta rays that were the size of a um, Volkswagen and there were these big uh, and, um, turtles that were nesting on this island and it was just absolutely But the thing about it was that, um, there was no um, commerce on the island at all. Any waste you took there, you brought back, you, you know, the, the, right right from, you know, you pooping and peeing down to your lunch kind of thing. And it was so peaceful. Like it was just this small piece of paradise. Um, and then the funny thing was we ended up all over staying out, welcome all the people on the boat, and as we were coming back, it was like hitting the waves, there was no dolphins, you could come in, you could see all the landslides, it was like, Yeah, you'd kind of walk towards the fairy tale and then back towards reality. But it was just Mm. the most perfect day. It was really beautiful. Um, But, yeah, I've got lots of, I kind of have favourite bits of every country that I kind of go to. So, uh, And quite often they're bound up more with the activities um, or the people that I was with. So um, I have a funny story about canoeing in in Russia Um, and uh, it was supposed to be lightweight, canoeing and camping kind of thing as we went up and we were doing it with some Russians and you know there was all these potatoes and a guy that was in my boat was you know playing his guitar as I'm canoeing literally up the Volga, so it's against the current but you know we'd camp and roast potatoes and just saw all these parts um, of Russia it was shortly after the fall of communism so there was all this stuff that was still boarded up from that time and you know, um, but yeah, and then you go and you see the Kremlin and all this stuff which is really amazing and that was really cool. And when Nick and I were in Turkey, you know, we went skinny di- skinny dipping in the Mediterranean at night time and you know, off this <laughs> boat and you know, it's just one of those like there's just little moments from everywhere that's just um pretty fantastic.
1: So yeah. It's nice to pull on those those memories and yeah. So before you mentioned, um, and, you know, it's funny because uh, this week I put it up as well, that like we both went on a trip with World Vision to see their work. and um, So, yeah, I actually shared that in my Lovely Travels Facebook group. So I went in 2014 to Uganda. Were you meant to be on that one? Was that no. you? No, someone no, was meant to be on it and I, I picked them. I ended up.
2: Going? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I went to India in 2016. Um, with a couple of other bloggers, and then I was supposed to go in 2017, but I broke my sacrum.
1: Yep, falling yep. off the toilet. Yes, I was standing. You were standing on it. I
2: want everyone to know. <laughs> Which.
1: <laughs> like- Alison, to be fair, like in a lot of airports around the world, they do show the sign of how you're supposed to use the toilet and one of the Mm -hmm. things is do not stand on the seat. So I was standing on my
2: own toilet trying to use (laughs) the mirror above the bathroom. i just like to say I don't know why people put mirrors up so high. (laughs) Anyway, I did not go to uh, Indonesia because I had a sacrum broken in three places and a torn rotator cuff, so um, hiking in the wilds of Indonesia was not going to be plausible. But um, I did go to India and um, we did a combination of visiting projects in rural India and also urban, which I found quite fascinating. I hadn't been just as a tourist, but I really enjoyed that um, trip. A, I was travelling with some cracking uh, people, Tanima, um, Deborah and Kelly, all Mm. of whom were strangers to me before we left. Um, But such a unique opportunity to... Like, as you know, with World Vision's work, a lot of it is the funding basically ends up empowering women and communities to develop uh, in all sorts of different ways. And so, you know, it was, um, you know, four years ago, I had quite young children still, and it was coming together between, you know, meeting other mothers and and things in completely different circumstances um, that were still wanting the same thing for their children, etc. Mm. But also getting to see parts of India that tourists don't get to go to, you know, uh, and as you know, India is a very beautiful country. Um, and It was Chennai,
1: right?
2: Chennai was, yeah. Where you flew into. We went down, yeah, that's where we went in and out of. And we went down to Putukatai, which is not how the in- Indians would pronounce it at all. Um, but, yeah, further south, um, yeah. which was the kind of rural area. And, yeah. The yeah, really lovely. I really enjoyed it actually. Um, but I've done similar work, um, well, similar trips in just after my honeymoon in 2009. I went to Ecuador for a week and helped build a medical center, um, in, just near Quito mm-hmm. uh, as part of a project which was funded by the Bupa Health. Or, um, Fund, and um, I'd also done a project uh, via the Scouts in I think it was 1991. We we're in, in we were in Indonesia in that case, um, digging water pipes and things on the northern half of Java for some of the villages and things as part of their regeneration projects. A lot of those regeneration projects did not uh, fare so well in the tsunami. Mm. But um, yeah, so I've, I've done various of those kind of projects. I you know I think. We live in a world where if you've got the opportunity to give back, you should. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's it's a really invaluable part of travelling, I think, to understand how other people live and what their priorities are. Um, and, you know, if you go to another country and just expect it to be the same as home, well, don't go.
1: Well, and on that, I think you are... and. Alison has a wonderful lens that she looks through um, and her blog is quite true, Talking Frankly. She does talk very frankly. And one of your blogs is about toilets. Wasn't it like I'll never look at a toilet the same again or something like that?
2: Yeah, well, that that was fascinating because, I mean, you, you think of toilets as just somewhere to put poop. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when you actually look at them in the context of uh, they were installing them in various places, but particularly the urban slums of Chennai, uh, they had been affected very badly by those floods in the, in the year before, 2015 floods. Um, and from a safety and dignity perspective, you know, young girls and things were having to go down to the river to perform their ablutions and things like that of course you would wait till it was dark which meant that it was unsafe so you know you build blocks of four toilets you give people the responsibility of looking after them you've all of a sudden you've been you know your hygiene your sanitation dignity it improves education outcomes health outcomes employment Mm -hmm. outcomes like it's just yeah a toilet for granted yeah toilet
1: is nice toilet toilet. we'll have to put the link into it because yeah i do remember that yeah Um, No, that was really great, and um, I think the difference with our trips to some other trips, um, we were there very much there in an observational capacity, and we were there as ambassadors. So um, our work on those trips was to observe the community, to meet with the people who are um, who are receiving the benefit and uh, the people who are doing the work. And I think the thing that I always take away from my World Vision trips, I've been fortunate to go to a few of their projects, is the staff on the ground. Are so dedicated. They, I mean, there's volunteers as well, local community volunteers that help to extend the programs. But there are staff who work at the um, community level and at their sort of office level, and they just give their all and they just love love these communities. And I just that always just just melted my heart.
2: Yeah, well, I've always found it quite fascinating. In 2000, I was lucky enough to go to Taiwan, and I was representing. Um, I was there as a youth leader um, in a service organisation and they were looking at women, so it was kind of all female, but it was women in leadership positions in volunteer organisations and we were discussing the issues that were affecting young women in the Australasia area. Now, obviously, you think of most of the countries in the Australasian area, There, we and that was Singapore, New Zealand and Australia are obviously first world countries. Um, The rest, you know, fall very heavily into developing nation and the issues affecting a lot of the young girls at the time were things like uh, honour killings, um, acid birth, mm. child marriage, starvation, you know, and in first world countries, we're lucky enough to, by and large, be in a position where we can really focus on our mental health. And, you know, so we had things like drugs and self-esteem and all, that, all those kind of things. But the thing that really fascinated me is some of these girls are, you know, in terms of trying to, um, you know, comprehend their lack of choice, they found it really hard to comprehend the amount of choice that I had. You know, I was there. I didn't have to ask my dad's permission. I didn't have to ask him, um, If um, I could cut my hair, I lived with my boyfriend, Um, you know, I'd been travelling for three months, et cetera, et cetera. And then they are there because of the permission of parents, um, Mm. family fathers or husbands. But there was one girl that I met there on that trip. um, She had actually got not just her husband or her then-fiancé became husband and his family to forfeit the dowry so um, they could vaccinate the village, her, her village. And that, that was a huge thing, right, and it really brought home to me that whenever we go and we have these opportunities to visit countries, there are so many of the things that we bitch about when we go travelling, oh, my God, the cost of vaccinations or whatever, you know what I mean? But we yes. take the rest of it for granted. Do you know what I yes. mean? It's like, you know, where, and, and they were just talking basic vaccinations to keep them, you know, well and, well and all the rest of it. So um, I try very much to remember that, um, yeah, the... That, that, that perspective and that context means so much when, um, you're visiting somebody else's country.
1: And that's like 100% and that's what the word is, it's perspective. And I just, I don't really like when people say here, you know, if you're having a bad day and you brought it up before, you know, we have different issues here. We, we're we dealing with, you know, you're looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We're on different levels and I saw that when I went to Tanzania to visit my sponsor child. It's like he doesn't want a flat screen TV on the wall. They don't need cars. You Like getting a car there is really difficult. We're in the Maasai tribe in the desert. Mm. But like education, access to water having enough goats um, to, you know, continue the herd. Um, there were just different things, safety, security, that were were more important. So yeah. somebody, tells, like sometimes here in Australia, people go, oh, well, you know, there's starving children in Africa. I'm like, I'm not starving. Yeah, I yeah. can't understand that. You need to put in a bit of perspective. So please don't guilt trip me. I'm very well aware of the challenges around the world, but I live in my sphere and I'm dealing with my I have to. I have to live in this space. I can't live with that lens all the time. I, you have to take that lens when you go there and put things into perspective. But when I come home, we have to deal with the issues that we face here. So, um, you know, culture context—it's complex. That's why yes. the work is so challenging in development. To, to you can't just roll out one solution. Oh.
2: And it's, it's different. I mean, it's even just, you know, people say Australia and America are so alike, for instance, and I always find that quite fascinating because, um, and obviously the gun culture is the big difference, right, um, is I just, we just don't deal with people carrying guns here in Australia, right? It just doesn't happen, okay? Um, and, um, and, you know, whether or not you enjoy recreational shooting or whatever you do, people just don't carry guns. That's just... norm so and so that's just even two first world countries so to speak but I know that when we were traveling through Central America and I think I've told you this story previously Emma um, we were crossing from one of the borders and we'd had to pay our fees and get ourselves um, you know just across the border so you kind of paid you had to cross on a bridge or whatever and, you know, we have been upsold kind of thing, um, you know, as gullible tourists. Even though my sister speaks, I was travelling with my sister still and, you know, uh, she speaks fluent Spanish and, um, and and all the rest of it. But, you know, she negotiated, we got on these things and we crossed the border anyway, I turned around and, uh, as you know, I'm quite tall. Uh, my sister has not been blessed with the same gene, She's quite short. And uh, which is very non-threatening when you're meeting children all the way through Central America going
1: yeah.
2: out, so that works out very nicely for us as we as we jaunted. But um, I, I turn around, you know, where is she? Kind of thing, and um, I look over my shoulder, and there she is. She's standing there, and she's gesticulating, and she's crying, and she's surrounded by these small men. Right, just that's there full height but they're all carrying these giant oozy gun things that were bigger than they were and they're all pointing at her and she's crying and you know she's looking really distressed and you know I've looked at Richard and I've gone right we've kind of reached into the middle of race back reached the middle of the circle we're throwing American dollars into the air and we'll hauled her over the line into the next country we're like what's wrong Are you okay and I was like really upset and you know, because I couldn't work out what was going on. But she was just really frustrated because they were trying to um, get more money out of us, but um, she felt, you know, very strongly that she'd already negotiated the rate. So what we saw as threatening, she was just arguing with them and it's like, okay, we'll number one for the rest of this trip because if I go home without you with me, my mother, your mother, is never going to forgive us, okay? Yeah so if somebody yells at us and they have a gun give them the money people that have guns win the argument. it's that simple <laughs> yeah. she's like but they were trying to cheat us i don't care i don't care yeah. I, I, this is not something we're negotiating for the rest of the trip and i totally you know i mean absolutely when we you know we have the some distance between it I could see from her perspective she felt completely comfortable you know she they were just having an argument and all the rest of it but from an external point of view where my comprehension of Spanish was not sufficient to be part of that conversation um yeah so
1: oh uh, look and I'm, I've been one to argue in Spanish it is uh I don't know I think it is kind of a little bit of a language uh, a little bit of a it's a communication style <laughs> but uh <laughs> you know sometimes mine was under the influence of alcohol so maybe a little <laughs> bit of uh, Dutch courage but uh yeah when people are fully armored up with guns in their hands and then you know it's generally not the greatest time to to stand your ground they no. were accusing me of having drugs in the car like, I don't have drugs I don't have drugs I don't have drugs I don't have drugs like, oh she's too much hardware let her go <laughs> oh, she's like oh this little this little blonde girl is just too much no. but um I do want to come back to the, the point you said about um, the different challenges that we're facing, the different communities, because of my, um in the different countries and cultures that we, you know, and you are wonderful in your humankind uh, approach. And um, one of the messages of, of this podcast and of my mission to travel around the world is, is to discuss mental health. And um, being that you talk frankly and, and we're both quite outspoken about about mental health. Uh, so it's something that I just, it is very prevalent in our um, community and in certainly sort of maybe more open in Western culture now, like it's coming out, but it's certainly something they face in other places too. But um, I'm just glad that you sort of, you touched on that because I, I do believe, and, and not asking you to go into a long-winded story by any means, but just that it's, it's something that's there and um I believe that the more we talk about it, talk more openly about it the the better it's going to be well
2: uh, yeah it's no secret um, I was uh, the first time I knew officially that I had uh, depression was postnatal depression I um had a particularly traumatic first birth birth experience Um And I was pregnant quite quickly with my second child because I knew that if I didn't do it quickly, I wouldn't go back at all. Um, I had postnatal depression, post-traumatic stress. And then um, once um, I got a formal diagnosis, I came to realise that I'd been living with depression probably all my life. I was a self-harmer as a teenager, Um, you know, the kind of thing you hit under you know, your genes or or whatever um, and, you know, I always just thought I was really shit at life, you know, even when I travelled or I moved or I did things that just everyone else seemed to be really, it seemed to be effortless and I never seemed to get it. And it was only when, I, you know, I got a really great uh, psychologist mm. um, that was recommended to me by an excellent GP that I started to work through and realised that um, it just basically my brain doesn't work. I didn't come to that realisation easily. Um, you know, I'm a spokesperson for Beyond Blue these days and one of the things I do like to point out is that I was very, I was writing about having depression. I was happy to talk about it and part of the reason I was happy to talk about it is the moment I started talking about it on my blog on my Facebook page, a number of people that came out had suffered in silence mm.
1: you know,
2: with either postnatal depression, regular depression, all manners of it. Anxiety, etc. Never felt they could say anything because people didn't understand. Um, and um, but it it took a. I, I had a really, um, I had a suicidal year in 2017, and um, that was my turning point. That was when I accepted that taking myself off my medication. And things like that was not going to be a good plan for the future. And I'm very conscious of it now. And, and, look, you know, everyone's journey on these things is different. God, I use the word journey. You'll have to cut me off your next pod, podcast. No, um, I no, I, um, <laughs> I'm
1: a big, we're on a journey on this podcast, we're so a, I, a, I am generous. that person.
2: Oh, my God. But um, that, that reaching rock bottom there for me was the turning point for me. Um, and... Um, and, and, you know, it's for my girls as much as anything. You know, I want to see them grow old. Um, and as you know, I also had a brain bleed last year and it's amazing how that shifts your perspective as well. Um, there's a lot less giving a fuck about what other people think and just owning, you know, the fact that you've got some things that work really well and some things that don't. And uh, my brain has its moments, I think, is the best way to put it. But the really interesting thing I find when travelling is that, you um, uh it's you know even when i was in india just speaking to some of the people that helped us um you know the world vision guys you know they were just talking about um you know becoming parents and things like that had been really hard for them because particularly working with some of the world vision stuff um and you know being really proactive about female empowerment and things like that was really breaking with some of the traditional mindsets that yeah they been in existence and it could be actually quite a lonely place to work for um, a, a progressive organisation um, and they were very conscious that they were trying to parent their, their own daughters in ways that gave them a lot more choices and things like that. But, um, you know, I, I, I was very struck at the time by the use of the word lonely because, mm. you know, these are men that are part of big families and great social circles and part of a community that really cares about them. But it is always hard when you think differently or do things differently. Um, it takes some time to find your, your people and your tribe and that doesn't happen unless somebody else talks about it. So that's why I bang on about it as much as I do and it's not so much about wanting to tell my own story over and over again, but it's that's the story that I get to tell. I can't tell mm. your story, I can't tell anybody else's no. story. But if every time I tell the story, I ha- I've had emails from people literally, old friends of the UK you know, all over over the world, that have reached out and said, "I really appreciate you sharing your story because it's made it possible for me to to tell mine." So, yeah,
1: yeah and we are we're talking about it this from an experiential point of view, and um, I will put it at the end of the show, and I always put it, I will be putting it in the show notes too. That if you if you need help, please reach out, lifeline. Yep. Um, but you know, yeah, we talk from places of experience, and I think for me, travel um, has is is kind of my happy place and not that I'm not happy other places, but I guess it's where I'm most comfortable in me. And, um, you know, I, I, the year I moved to the UK and I, I the, it was the year after I'd sort of had my depression first time and I was like, I don't need these meds anymore. I'm having a great time. Um, don't do that. Um, that. Talk to a doctor. It, really doesn't, possibly. Work it, it doesn't work. Talk <laughs> to a doctor. We are not going to talk about medication. That is certainly, that's a doctor conversation. really uh, prescribing yourself on and off is is not a great idea but but I felt I feel great because maybe because when I'm traveling I feel connected I feel connected to culture I feel connected to places I'm inspired by new things and yeah it is interesting uh I I want to explore it more like going to places like India and uh, knowing friends who there who yeah definitely would have experience of of mental health mental illness but talking about it in a society talking about it in the community and these are some of my friends that are in very kind of cosmopolitan places but it is still super taboo and um very hard to understand um so there's a lot of other layers that go on it so the fact that yeah there is help um you know i want to make people aware where i am that there's help and that was that was the turning point in my journey. Always is, is when I asked for help.
2: Yeah, well, I, I would say very. The, the last twenty years have really been the first two decades that we've talked about it with any seriousness in Australia. Um, I mean, it, as it's a generational thing. Partly, um, you know, um, it, it's an understanding that you know trauma is a complex and um, shifting beast, depending on you know people's circumstances. Um, and all those kind of things, but I also think the really interesting thing about travel and I think this is um something you don 't realize until after you 've traveled quite a bit i mean i traveled started traveling when I was about seventeen and um and I was very lucky in my early big trips to be traveling um basically with groups of friends and it was, you know, through the Scouts Association, um, you know, there was these trips to Russia and, and me- you know, Mexico and a few others, you know. So then I was doing my own travel around that. But it was the travel that I started to do on my own where I realised that if I was going somewhere else and I didn't know anyone, I could just be me. Mm. I didn't need to be the me that other people thought or needed or expected me to be. I didn't. I didn't come with, you know, 20 years of being somebody else's brother, sister or friend. I was just there. And, you know, um, I still remember when I'd been living in England, probably about 18 months, so probably shortly before I met Nick, I was just talking to somebody and just saying, oh, I'm, you know, so hot headed and all the rest of it, you know. And she's like, I just find that extraordinary, Alison. She said, You're one of the most cheerful people I know. I've never seen you lose mm-hmm. your temper. But yet, my kind of worldview of myself was, you know, kind of shaped by, you know, my early 20s when I had been a hot head and I, all, all through my teenage years, you know, I very temperamental and, you know, but you you learn and evolve and all of a sudden you realize that actually you are quite a cheery person or quite optimistic or you know kindness is not weakness or any of those things because you're not shaped by other people's expectations and I actually think that's where travel allows you to develop and grow as a person because you're not trying to hide behind a veneer you're not nobody cares what your qualifications are you know all they want to know is what are you doing today what are you doing tomorrow and can they come along for the ride you know it's all sunsets and experiences it's you know Um, I mean, how often do we go and walk into our local churches here and just look up at the stained glass and go, wow, but yet we go over the seats and we can spend the entire day walking in and out of buildings going, wow, um, and just really exploring and really enjoying art for art's sake, you know, not because we're a pretentious wanker or we've been forced into it by a friend. You know, we can have opinions, we can explore ideas, we can see how other people live, what they value, all those kind of things. And I think that that's why, you know, travel becomes your happy place because you get to be just Emma, like yeah. just Emma, you know? Um, you know. And I would also frankly say that anybody that travels anywhere and comes back exactly the same, what were you doing? You know what I mean? Because um, you obviously weren't immersing yourself in the country.
1: Well, look, and even if people go and decide it's, like, not their thing and, like, they, um, and, and, look, we, we do, we are talking about travel overseas but certainly travel uh, domestically and travelling just to see because, you know, though Australia is a massive country, a massive country and, like, although we don't vary quite as dramatically as, like, say, the UK where, like, you can go a county and the accent changes and some of the norms change and some of their habits and they've got all their little recipes and stuff, um, you know, Melbourne to Sydney to Brisbane may seem on the surface quite similar, but they they're not. I know I've been fortunate to live in different cities across Australia and we have our own experiences with our own ways of doing things, and that's that's wonderful to experience too. And just it's all different worldviews. And um oh, definitely.
2: I mean, you can even tell Queensland, you know. I mean, my I'm Hey, born, hey, hey.
1: <laughs> I was like, oh no, we're both Queensland. I was born in
2: Queensland, my mother's a my mother's a darling down, Brisbane boy. Um, obviously my older brother was born on Manus Island, various other siblings were born in Darwin, Canberra and Sydney um, and, you know, we we lived all about and, you know, but it is accents, um, you know, accents differ from state to state around here and, you know, weather and all those kind of stuff. But, no, look, I, I moved from Canberra to Brisbane, from Brisbane, like this is as an adult, um, Canberra to Brisbane, Brisbane to Gympie. I thought I was a country girl. I'm not, <laughs> uh, to London, London to Dublin, Dublin to London, you know, and then back over here to Sydney and, um, you know everywhere I've lived you know i've got I've got a fondness for everywhere I've ever lived you know kind of thing but um there are some places that are more you than others and and the thing is is I'm a city girl you know what I mean I love to visit the country I love to go up into the mountains I like to go to the beach I like to you know I like to explore I've been caving i've been I've canoed down the Murray I've you know um I've visited every state um of Australia every territory um And I love something about all of them kind of thing. But um, there is no way, it doesn't matter how much I love visiting friends in parks or going to the wineries and Orange, there's no way this city girl can ever live in the country again (laughs) with any permanence. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Even when I go to the UK, my in-laws live in a little um, area called Shropshire up on the Welsh border.
1: Shropshire, how wonderful.
2: (laughs) Yeah, south of uh, Manchester. And it's a country town. There's no way, you know, um, if we moved back to the UK, we'd have to live in a city, a big-ish city, because Nick and I are city people and it's, it's just the way it is. <laughs> we like the noise. We like the access. We like, um, and, you know, and that's, that's kind of our happy place. So, yeah, it's all about finding those
1: yeah finding it finding your happy place wherever it is however it is well thank you so much you've uh, given me the reminder to check my prejudice at the door and uh, <laughs> you know just don't take you know maybe like remember that people are whole and uh, you have a history and a life before the time I met you and ridiculous because even the fact that you yeah, you've traveled in the time that I've known you so oh, and you're a wonderful wonderful no. talker thank so, you very
2: much thank you, you very t- much for inviting me to be part of this it's got me Yeah, it's once you get started, there's all these, like I haven't even mentioned, like so many of the things that I've done that I've really loved doing and and all the rest of it, but it's nice just to revisit them. I can start writing my list of things I'm going to do when I'm filthy rich and my children are old enough.
1: <laughs> yes, well, and that's it. We, right now certainly we're a little bit more limited and restricted in our movements. So right now with, with COVID-19 it's an even nicer time to revisit our travel memories and our travel stories. Um, but, yeah, to, to also be able to stay connected despite yeah. we are physically distant
2: that's it and my big thing is always take photos everyone says you remember things but you don't memory (laughs) is so subjective to so many various things that but photos are such evocative evocative tools um yeah I'm always you know they say just enjoy the moment you can enjoy the moment and then take the photo don't
1: (laughs) don't forget the photo I love it when people always say to me like when I'm about to go on a trip they're always like Emma don't forget to take photos I'm like seriously have you seen my instagram (laughs) like you know we've got to tone that down a bit so i've got to find the balance between
2: (laughs) yeah yeah no well that's yeah that's where you just turn them all into chat books then it's hard copy as well as instagram
1: you see i love it thank you so much and i'll have a lovely evening you too
0: Okay, thanks for listening this far, everyone. And thank you, Emma, for getting Alison on the podcast and um, uh, having this great chat to her.
1: Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. She's a good talker. She's a good talkie. So um, it was great having her here.
0: Yeah, 100%. And um, if you enjoyed what you listened to and you want to listen to more, um, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Podigy, um and other podcast aggregating sites
1: yeah make sure you subscribe rate and review uh that helps us to know that you're liking it but also to help other listeners to find us
0: 100 percent. and if you want to join in the conversation and um get in touch with us you can do so on info at lovelytravels.com that's lovely with two l's and uh visit the website lovelytravels.com. Um, Instagram we're all over the Instagrams at lovely travels uh, and we have an amazing Facebook group filled with beautiful people uh, just chatting about travel and sharing some memories there Yeah. Uh, so visit us there, lovely travels Facebook group
1: thanks guys, tune in next week and uh, we look forward to talking to you again
0: that's right, see you then bye